WebCityOnline.com, this is Two Rivers 30 Minutes, a weekly series of interviews with people making news around the McKeesport area. Produced by Tube City Community Media Incorporated, a nonprofit corporation. I'm Jason Toger, the Executive Director. On this show, we talk one-on-one with elected officials, community leaders, and others who are trying to make a difference in the Monyoc area. And we also take your questions and comments on Facebook and Twitter at Tube City Online. Just about 50 years ago, as you're listening to this, it was a case that rocked the nation and certainly the Midmont Valley and Washington County areas, shook up the top leadership of uh, one of the most powerful unions in the country and uh, is still being discussed today. It was the murder of Joseph Jock Yablonski uh, and his family as they slept uh, in their homes in Washington County. Uh, 50 years later, why has this case continued to be a part of uh, our collective imaginations? Why does it still tug at the hearts of so many people in the Mon Valley? And what lessons, what what was the impact long-term uh, of, of this brutal, brutal case? Our guests this morning are Brad Hunt. He is a writer at The Observer Reporter in Washington, PA. Uh, good morning to you, Brad. Good morning. And uh, also on the line with us is Vince Guerreri. Uh, he is an editor at the Illyria Chronicle-Telegram in Ohio. He's also recently written about this case for Smithsonian Magazine. Uh, good morning, Vince. How you doing? Good. Vince, your story came out in Smithsonian uh, a few days ago. Who was uh, Jock Yablonski, first of all? Well, he was uh, a uh, coal miner and, and a labor leader. He comes from, as it, as it is in, in southwestern Pennsylvania, you know, a lot of times your, your uh, profession is, is preordained, especially when you go back a couple of generations. His father was a coal miner. He became a coal miner. Uh, he moved up the ranks of the United Mine Workers. Uh, he was not, uh, you know, a long-haired radical. I mean, the guy was was definitely on the other side of middle aged when he ran for president. But you know, he he was a real honest to goodness reformer who who saw things rotting from the inside out and wanted to fix it. When you say things were rotting at the inside out of, of, of the Mine Workers Union in 1969, what do you mean by that? Well, for many, many years, the, the Mine Workers Union was, was led by John L. Lewis, and, and uh, the phrase I used in the article is, is he described it as the shock troops of the American labor movement. Uh, he retired, and, and uh, leadership uh, passed on to Tony Boyle, who had uh, the same uh, autocratic tendencies that uh, John L. Lewis had, but uh, ne- not necessarily the uh, altruism. Um, you know, there was a lot of feather betting. There was a lot of... Um, you know, corruption. There was a, a lot of, um, you know, coziness, too much so with, with the people who, who operated the mines. And, and you know, labor unions, uh, by design, have to have some kind of adversarial relationship with management. And it seemed like that was, was not present, as was evidenced uh, a couple of years before Yablonsky's killing by the Farmington mine disaster. Tell us what the, the Farmington mine disaster was. Well, uh, I mean, one of the the risks inherent in mining is is always you know these kinds of things of, of fire and 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 explosions and cave-ins and that's that's essentially what happened at this mine in West Virginia in 1968 and you know apparently um, there was not a lot of uh, conversation between union leadership and the families of those that were uh, were trapped and and ultimately killed in the mine. Uh, the, the, I believe the, the death count was 78, and of those, I think 19 are, uh, are still entombed in the mine. They couldn't even recover all the bodies. Uh, they sealed the mine shaft without input from the family members, and, and, and Tony Boyle's uh, 
had had a rather tin-eared reaction that kind of boiled down to, well, what can you do with instances like that? Uh, on the line with us right now, Vince Guerreri uh, is a historian and a newspaper editor from Ohio. He has written an uh, article for Smithsonian Magazine uh, about the Jock Yablonski killings um, and, and the, the 50 that happened 50 years ago, December 31st, uh, 1969. It shocked the labor movement. That's in Smithsonian Magazine. Also on the line with us right now is Brad Hunt. He is a writer for The Observer, reporter in Washington, PA, and along with his colleague uh, Barbara Miller. They've just recently published a package of stories uh, about the Yablonski case. Um, Brad, uh, over to you. Um, was Jock Yablonski originally from this, this small town of Clarksville, PA? Where is Clarksville, PA, first of all? Clarksville is right on the edge of Washington County. It's on the Washington Green Line. And in fact, I think part of Clarksville is in Washington County and part of it is in Greene County. Um, he was from Pittsburgh originally. Uh, from what I gather, and his father was a coal miner, and his father, in fact, died of sepsis. He died of an infection after something, a piece of slate, oh my God. in a coal mine fell and hit him. Um, and um, he, um, uh, his, Jockey Blonsky's mother fought with the coal company to get benefits, to get death benefits. Uh, and that is part of what led Yablonsky to be um, such a fiery uh, labor reformer, such a fiery and dedicated member of the union. There, there's a lot of coal mines, or there were at least, um, there still is some coal mining activity, but not maybe like it was in the late 60s down there in uh, East Bethlehem, West Bethlehem, uh, the, all along those communities, all along the, the Monongahela River uh, between Washington, Westmoreland, and, and Greene counties. Did, did Jacques move down to Clarksville to work in one of the mines down there? Uh, to be honest, I really don't know. Okay. He, uh, he, it's quite possible, but um, I don't think he purchased the home there in Clarksville until he had risen up pretty high in the ranks of the United Mine Workers. T- tell us about the house, because one of the stories that, that uh, you wrote, uh, Brad Hunt is on the line with us also. We're also speaking with Vince Guerreri this morning. We're talking about the Jock Yablonski killings back on December 31st, 1969, and why that was such a shock both to the Mon Valley area, but also to the labor union movement nationally. Uh, Brad, tell us a little bit about the house, because I, I think either you or your colleague Barb Miller uh, wrote that George Washington very likely slept there. Is that true? It's possible that he slept there because it was built in 1778, and I believe the name of the builder was Henry Enoch, uh, who was a lieutenant colonel in the Revolutionary War. So it's certainly not out of the question that Washington could have stayed there when he was passing through the area. Um, it was it's a fieldstone house, um, and uh, it's a it's a it's a beautiful house. It's not open to the public, and it hasn't been occupied since 1995. Um, the owners, the current owners of the building, purchased it from of the house purchased purchased it from the Oblonskys um, about uh, 1972-1973 or so, and um, it has a very um, rich history. Um, some of the previous owners, one of the previous owners, might have been linked to uh, General Custer, who, of course, died at the Battle of Little Bighorn in 1876. And I believe there were a couple of other 
murders and mishaps that happened there. Really? But the owners who are restoring it okay. um, argue that, um, you know, the Oplosky killings are part of its history, but it's not its entire history. Sure. Um, and um, I suppose with a house that is more than 240 years old, sure. um, a lot of things can happen there through the years. I think a state trooper might have been shot or shot at in the house in the 30s. And the um, owners, the current owners, showed me uh, a spot on the hand railing where um, that uh, a, I think a bullet grazed it. So yeah, there's a lot of history in that house. And I think I think the point is well taken that it's more than just the Oblonsky killings. Brad Hunt is a writer at The Observer Reporter in Washington. Also on the line with us is Vince Guerreri. He's an editor at the Illyria Chronicle Telegram in Ohio. He's also a historian. Uh, both of these gentlemen have uh, written about the 50th anniversary of the killings of uh, Jackie Oblonsky, his wife, and their 25-year-old daughter. Uh, Brad, before I turn this back over to Vince, um, tell us a little bit about Clarksville. This is a pretty rural area out there. Oh, it's a very rural area. Um, it, uh, when I drove out there to see the house, um, it's a good thing that I ate lunch before I left. <laughs> <laughs> there was not a Subway, McDonald's, anywhere to have lunch there. Uh, just a very small, a former mining community, um, a handful of churches. Um, to be honest, I don't even know if they're are any really any kind of businesses there mm-hmm. um the the Yablonsky house i have to confess before i went out there i thought it was going to be out in the country but it's just on the edge of clarksville and it was in fact um a plantation when it was originally okay built and there they the current owners believe there might well have been slaves kept on that property. Wow. Okay. We're talking with Brad Hunt from the Observer Reporter in Washington PA. Also on the line with us is Vince Guerreri, who is an editor at the Illyria Chronicle Telegram in Ohio, and we're discussing the murder of Jock Yablonski, a reformer in the Mine Workers Union on December thirty first, nineteen sixty nine. Also uh, murdered that same time were his wife and twenty five year old daughter. Um, the murders later were tied to the president, the then president of the United Mine Workers Union, Tony Boyle. Thank you all for listening to Two Rivers 30 Minutes, broadcasting from the Tube City Center for Business and Innovation in downtown McKeesport. You're listening to Two Rivers 30 Minutes, a production of Tube City Community Media Incorporated. If you've got an idea for someone who you'd like us to interview or a question or comment, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at Tube City Online. Uh, Vince Guerreri, over to you. you. We were talking there a few minutes ago about Jock Yablonski. He was this reformer who was challenging the president of the United Mine Workers, Tony Boyle, uh, for the presidency. Um, Vince, w- what happened? Uh, they they had an election for the presidency of, of the Mine Workers Union in 1969, and, and what happened in that election? Well, uh, we have to go back a, a little farther yeah. than that. Uh, he was the director of uh, – Jock Yablonski was the director of the – the, the district that encompassed Western Pennsylvania and okay. West Virginia. Okay. He was removed from that role in 65, ostensibly for insubordination. But, uh, you know, his I, I talked to uh, his last surviving son uh, about it, and he said, yeah, but he, Jockey Blonsky was viewed as, as a threat. And uh, he decided to, to run in 1969 for the presidency of, of the Mine Workers Union. 
<clears throat> he lost. He lost decisively. Mm-hmm. Um, alleged vote fraud in the elections, and those those allegations were were ultimately borne out. And uh, after uh, after the murders, they had a uh, uh, they had a new election in 1972. But Rand lost alleged fraud, and and it was at that point that uh, um, that he was killed. Uh, but um, when was it? And this, I know. Well, let's not get. I was going. Let's not get ahead of our story here. Vince Guerrero uh, is a writer in Ohio. He's written about uh, the Jackie Blonsky uh, case, uh, the fiftieth anniversary of the Jackie Blonsky case for Smithsonian Magazine. Uh, the story is called Fifty Years Ago: The Murder of Jackie Blonsky Shocked the Labor Movement. Brad Hunt is on the line with us uh, from uh, the Washington Observer Reporter. Uh, he, along with his colleague Barb Miller, also have uh, written a package of stories about the fiftieth anniversary of the murder of the Yablonskis. So, Brad. Um, before I get ahead of the story too much, uh, take us to uh, the night of December thirty first, uh, nineteen sixty nine, in, in Clarksville. What did the, the, the investigation later reveal had happened? Yes, uh, well, it actually uh, apparently happened early in the morning on December thirty first, nineteen sixty nine. Um, the uh, the Oblonsky home uh, had been uh, under surveillance by these uh, three. Hoodlums, basically, who had been hired by Albert Pass, who was a board director or was on the board with United Mine Workers, and he was paid uh, $20,000 in embezzled uh, mine workers' funds by Tony Boyle to hire someone to kill Jockey Blonsky. And apparently they had been keeping an eye on the house uh, for a couple of weeks, Um and on the night of December 30th, 30th and the morning of December 31st, these guys, and they were Paul Gilly, Claude Vealy, and Auburn Martin, had been watching the house, and at 1 a.m., they broke into the house. They had broken in earlier. A couple of them had broken in earlier. Um, was that known Was that known by the Yablonskis that someone had broken in earlier? It was not known. Okay. So they, apparently one of them rapped on the door earlier and um, asked, you know, some kind of question. And I think Yablonski was suspicious of them, and he was worried about his own safety because he kept a shotgun next to his bed, but it was unloaded. Uh, Brad, pause for a second. Vince, I think, has something he wants to say. Come in, Vince. Yeah, actually, uh, Yablonski knew enough that he he knew he was being followed. Obviously, he was concerned for his safety to the point where he took down the license plate, the Ohio license plate of a car that had been, you know, near him. And it turned out to be a, a big break. The the three guys that, that actually did the killing were arrested within a month, uh, in part mm-hmm. because he had the presence of mind to mark down the uh, uh, license plate for, for one of the cars that, as it turned out, belonged to one of the guys who went away for killing him. And, and Brad Hunt, that's, one of the, that's the person who, who had knocked on the door of the Yablonski house under the pretense of yes. asking some stupid question? Yes. Yeah. Brad uh, Hunt from the Observer Reporter, back to you for a second. So, how, who all was home at the Yablonski uh, uh, residence uh, at the time of the murders? Uh, it was just uh, Charlotte, uh, the 25 year old daughter of Jack Yablonski and his wife Margaret, and the two Yablon- and uh, Margaret Yablonski and Jack Yablonski. So, just three people. Okay. And apparently, um, the only sound that could be heard. As they came up the stairs at the house was the sound of Jock Yablonski snoring, because apparently he was a heavy snorer, and um, apparently sometimes the Yablonski 
slept in separate bedrooms because his snoring was so loud, but that night they were in the same bedroom. When, when were the bodies found? They were found actually six days later. On January 5th, 1970, they were found by Kenneth Yablonski, the um, oldest son of Jockey Blonsky. The son uh, came from his first marriage, and um, I believe someone called him, if I recall this correctly, maybe Vince would have a better idea of the chronology. I believe someone called him and to let him know that they hadn't heard from uh, Jockey Blonsky and Margaret Yablonsky for the days. And he assumed that they'd just gone out of town, and then he called the house number and got no answer, and then they decided to go out there. And there were several undelivered newspapers still on the back porch. Mail had accumulated in the mailbox, and that was the first sign that something was terribly amiss. Uh, Vince Carreri, is that about right? He was expected at the uh, swearing-in of local government officials in Washington, uh-huh. and that was... You know, he he was not there for that on the on the fifth, and that's when you know his his son started talking, and they said we should, um, you know, we should probably uh, check on him. And, and uh, Chip was in Washington D.C., and Ken, of course, was a, a local attorney uh, in Washington pretty much until he died. Uh, and he he was the one that went and checked and 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 found the crime scene. Uh, on the line with us uh, right now are Vince Guerreri. He's a, a newspaper editor and historian from Ohio. Also on the line with us, Brad Hunt from the Washington PA Observer Reporter. We're talking about the 50th anniversary of the slaying of uh, Union official uh, Jock Yablonski, um, later convicted uh, uh, was, was, as the trial later determined, we're getting a little ahead of our story, the president of the United Mine Workers at the time, Tony Boyle, had hired hitmen uh, to end to, uh, Yablonski, uh, put an end to uh, what was seen as his, his troublemaking, his reform efforts uh, in the Mine Workers Union. Um, we're going to talk about uh, why this case continues to reverberate with people and also uh, what changes uh, it may have led to, um, what the legacy of it was uh, that it may have led to uh, in the Mine Workers Union and in other unions. You're listening to Two Rivers 30 Minutes, a production of Tube City Community Media Incorporated. You know, we're looking for help in getting this show on the air and for help with other projects. If you're interested in the McKeesport area and you'd like to host a program or write articles for the website, call us at 412-614-9659 or email TubeCityTiger at gmail.com. Back to you, Brad Hunt. So uh, the, the police are called. I guess it's the state police. Clarksville does not have its own police force. Um, and, and the bodies are discovered. Uh, as we heard from Vince Guerreri a few minutes ago, Jock Yablonski had written down a license number. Um, and I guess that was the first serious lead that the police had. Yes, that's probably, that's correct, yes. Okay. What happens then? How long did it take to connect these three paid assassins, these three paid hitmen? And I'll put this question to Vince. How long did it take to connect them to Tony Boyle and the Mine Workers Union leadership? Well, there was a lot going on at this point okay. because there was um, allegations of, you know, obviously Jockey Blonsky was dead and he, he had been murdered. He and his wife and daughter had been murdered. Uh, but at the same time, there were uh, investigations into allegations of vote fraud from okay. the election from the previous December. And there was an investigation into uh, the embezzlement that allowed for the payment of these assassins. What happened was, you know, checks were cut to to District 19 um, for ostensibly research. And you can't see it right now, but I'm making air quotes. <laughs> um, they uh, sent out checks to a bunch of retirees 
who kicked it back, and that was how they, they paid the assassins. So there was a lot of stuff going on, uh, part and parcel with all of this. And it, it kind of it, it took a couple of years to get up to the very, very top. I got to talk to uh, Richard Sprague, who was, the, who was the special prosecutor they brought in. He was the first assistant district attorney in Philadelphia, and they brought him in to handle all these. And, and the cases were all over the place. They tried some in Washington County. Uh, they tried Tony Boyle in, I believe it was Media County outside of Philadelphia. There was at least one trial that went on in Erie County. But the phrase that he used was it was like peeling layers of an onion. And, and it seemed like, you know, you had to you had to run down everything. But it sounded like they knew who. Uh, I know family members had their suspicion mm-hmm. uh, that this was definitely related to his actions with the union. Um, obviously, I don't know if it went, uh, if they figured out that it went all the way up to the top or if it was just, you know, somebody acting on their own. But it definitely took a while before it got to everybody. And again, I, I, Boyle was, was tried twice. I believe he was trialed, tried in 74 and 78. So, I mean, this is this is something that kind of took it a long way to... Uh, uh, wind its way through. So this whole time, though, Tony Boyle was president of the union, or no? He was voted out in '72. Okay. What, what, do you, Do you know? Was the mine workers? Was the rank and file already suspicious that that you know Yablonsky was dead, and and Boyle may have had something to do with it? Uh, I believe that there were a bunch of them that were because when the um, when news got out that uh, that Yablonsky and his family had been killed. Thousands of miners in in Western Pennsylvania and West Virginia walked off the job uh, in in protest or tribute or whatever you want to call it. So uh, it sure feels like there was definitely something in the air. Uh, over to you, Brad Hunt. Um, we talked about how Clarksville is a, is a very small, isolated uh, community there in in the Midmon Valley or south, actually, uh, of the Midmon Valley, south of of Denora and Shalleroy. Um I'm assuming that's a fairly close knit community. This this must have been like a lightning bolt uh, hitting them. Oh, yes. Um, if you go back and read the Observer Reporter, if you go back and look at um, um, uh, news stories that were printed in the wake of the Oblonsky killing, um, the uh, national media descended on sure. the town. And uh, the paper interviewed some people, and uh, there was just a sense of disbelief that a story that was... Um, that important and had that much uh, national interest was happening in their town. Um, one thing I would point out, and this is put, picking up a little bit on what Vince was saying, is that um, I found in one of the stories that the um, that, that the OR printed after the Yablonsky killing, there was a quote from a miner who had a Tony Boyle bumper sticker on the back of his car, and he initially kind of refused to believe that that Tony Boyle and the miners could have been, or in the upper echelons of the United Mine Workers could have been uh, involved with the killing. And um, But, of course, that ultimately turned out to be the case. He, In fact, the quote here, I have it, is he says, uh, I can't see the union resorting to anything like this, but I might be wrong as hell. Sure, it's a terrible thing, but what did anybody have to gain, especially in the union, for something like this? 
I thought we were going into the peaceful 70s and putting aside the radical 60s. can't remember, uh, uh, Brad Hunt, if it was your story or Vince Guerrero's uh, who tie this into the, the 60s being this decade of assassinations. Um, obviously, uh, John F. Kennedy, Martin Luther King Jr., uh, Robert Kennedy, uh, Malcolm X, you know, that this, this assassination as a political weapon was really something that was unknown uh, in the United States after the Civil War, and yet the, the, the 60s, we had all these killings. And, and Vince, was it your story that tied this to the... Well, what I, I had said was that there was this idea in the 60s that, you know, uh, reform and revolution was in flower, and and that, you know, that's kind of the, the, the milieu into where, um, you know, everybody said something was wrong with... Um, United Mine Workers Union, and it got to be, and, and it had to be fixed. And you saw this happen uh, again a couple of years later with the United Auto Workers, as sure. relates to uh, production of the Vega in Lordstown, not that far from my my hometown of Youngstown. So there was definitely this idea that a lot of things had to be uh, had to be changed for the better, and there were a lot of people who were willing to take that on, you know. But uh, Jockey Blonsky was not one of those long haired hippies that yeah. was uh, doing this. He just happened to be somebody who saw from the inside out what was going on and 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 you know i don't know if it's if if it was his sense of moral outrage or or if he he knew that it was uh, just good customer service to be this responsive to to mine workers, but he knew something was amiss and he tried to fix it. We are going to go over time. If you'd like to hear uh, the rest of this conversation, uh, the full version will be on our website at tubecityonline.com forward slash podcast. Um, we are talking with Brad Hunt. He is a writer at the Observer Reporter in Washington, PA. Also on the line with us from Elyria, Ohio, is Vince Guerreri, who is a newspaper editor there and Rust Belt historian. Uh, both of these gentlemen, along with Barb Miller of the Observer Reporter in Washington, uh, have been writing about the 50th anniversary of the murder of Jock Yablonski uh, and uh, his wife and daughter, um, a murder that was later tied to uh, three hitmen who were hired by the then-president of the Mine Workers Union. Um, there was a movie uh, that was done in the 1980s. I they believe Charles Bronson played uh, Jock Yablonski. Um, Wilford Brimley uh, played Tony Boyle. I think there's a segment on the Yablonski killings in um, the Harlan County documentary. Brad Hunt, um, why do you think that 50 years later there's still all this intense interest in, in this Yablonski case? Well, it, it, certainly I think it um, highlights the role that um, that uh, that unions and labor had in, in, in those days and how that role has been diminished. You can look at it from that perspective. But I also think it fascinates in the same way that people like to watch Investigation Discovery. Okay. Um, it's one of those things where it's like In Cold Blood by Truman Capote. Yes. Just the, um, just the nature of the killings and in some ways how, uh, how well, certainly their brutality, but also just how the killings were carried out in such a kind of inept way and how it's linked back to the politics of the United Mine Workers. Uh, Vince Guerreri, uh, same question over to you. Why, why, what made you interested in this? You're from Ohio. Um, you did work in the Pittsburgh area. You've been a guest on this program before, but what made you interested in this case? Well, uh, I, I did work in the Pittsburgh area. I was hired 20 years ago. 20 years ago? <laughs> how did that happen? Yeah. At the uh, Pittsburgh Trib, and um, I spent a lot of time in Washington County, and and you know, 
to uh, to engage in a little bit of metaphor, the the ghosts walked among us. I mean, 20 years ago, there were still people who not only remembered it, who were still working. Um, obviously, uh, uh, Judge Gladden just died in, in Washington County, but he signed Tony Boyle's arrest warrant and he was still working uh, yes, when, he when was. I was, he was there. President I mean, there Judge, people, I think. Yeah, right. I mean, there were a lot of people that, that knew this and, and I and and it was something that, you know, you, you heard of in in hushed tones like it was. You know, it, like it was a ghost story, for lack of a better way to put it. Uh, I want to thank both of you for taking some time to uh, talk with us. Uh, on the line with us has been Vince Guerreri. He is a editor at the Illyria Chronicle Telegram. He is also a historian of the Rust Belt. His uh, story is, is it in print or is it just online, Vince? It is just online. Okay, it is at smithsonianmag.com. It is 50 years ago, the murder of Jock Yablonski shocked the labor movement. Uh, you can go to observer-reporter.com and find the stories uh, the package of stories by Brad Hunt and uh, Barbara Miller about the Yablonski killings on December 31st, 1969, that shook up the leadership of the uh, United Mine Workers and the uh, entire uh, Mon Valley and all of coal country. Uh, Brad, thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thanks a lot. Appreciate it. And uh, Vince, thank you for uh, joining us this morning. I promise it was my pleasure. Thank you all for listening to Two Rivers 30 Minutes, broadcasting from the Tube City Center for Business and Innovation in downtown McKeesport. So long for now. You've been listening to Two Rivers 30 Minutes, copyright Tube City Community Media Incorporated. Opinions expressed on this program are not those of Tube City Community Media Incorporated. Listener support makes this program possible. If you'd like to make a tax-deductible contribution, please visit our website at tubecityonline.com and click on the donate link. You can also get a free subscription to this program and other podcasts at our website using Apple's iTunes or Stitcher.com. If you've got a question or comment, we hope you'll write to us. Our address is Tube City Community Media Incorporated, P.O. Box 94, the Keysport, PA, 15134. You can email us at TubeCityTiger at gmail.com or call us at area code 412-614-9659. And you can find us on Facebook and Twitter at TubeCityOnline. Online.